is exciting and I'm excited for um, what God is going to say to us this morning. As you know, we are in the middle of a, uh, a series walking through the book of Colossians called Fully Alive. And so uh, why don't you just uh, grab uh, a Bible or a device and get to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, this is an exciting moment for us because we're about to cross the halfway mark. And uh, if you're gauging uh, how long are we going to be here, uh, today is halfway. And uh, a, a big moment, uh, a really important truths in this uh, passage that we're going to look at this morning. But uh, just a little bit about me. Uh, I know I sometimes share about this, but uh, I love being outdoors. Uh, I love nature, hiking, camping, uh, anything to do outdoorsy. Uh, I'm going to just say yes to that as often as I can. Something I really, really enjoy. Uh, the first time I ever went deep sea fishing, uh, was a really uh, cool experience. And uh, we were out in Hermanus, uh, some of my best friends and I, uh, we got hold of a boat and we decided that we we're gonna go cray fishing. So we had all the, the nets for that and we dropped them out. And uh, while we we're gonna wait for those to get filled up with some yummy crayfish, we did have a license. Um, we were then going to go and do some fishing while we waited for those to fill up. And uh, such a cool experience. First time out on a, on a boat and you know, heading out of the harbor, dropping everything. And, and then the boat stopped where we decided to fish. And uh, some of you, the way you're looking at me, know what kind of happened next. And uh, I started to feel very sick. And uh, a sick that I've not felt ever in my life, and I don't think I ever want to feel again. And the sense of adventure and excitement of being out on a boat, out in the ocean, uh, going fishing, uh, quickly faded. And an, an experienced uh, fisherman with me said, Craig, uh, what you need to do is find a fixed point out on land. Lock your eyes on that and don't take your eyes off of that fixed point. And that's going to stop you from throwing up uh, even into next week. And I did that, and uh, I held firmly onto gaze, I found uh, land, saw a little bit of a mountain peak, locked my gaze on that, and keeping my eyes fixed on that took away all the nausea, helped me get a little bit of sea legs and, and then try to do some fishing, and every time I thought stuff was gonna happen again, you know, locked onto the point. Um, in fact, the only time I ever caught a shark was on that fishing trip. It was a pajama shark about this big and we couldn't eat it. Uh, still a shark, so kind of my, my most successful fishing story ever. But uh, a really important truth for where we're at at this point in uh, the journey through Colossians is that the way we navigate life and the way we're gonna to have to navigate so many of the things that are warring against us is by really training and rooting ourselves into uh, the, the, the joy and the purpose of Jesus in having to fix our eyes on Him as the focal point for everything. That for us to navigate, for us to overcome, for us to figure out we keep coming back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the point at which we focus our eyes on. That's where we lock our gaze. That's where we set our hearts. Because uh, as we're trying to figure things out, as uh, Paul, the writer of this letter, is trying to help this church navigate everything that they have to navigate at that time that they're in and the culture that they're in, it speaks to us as well. And we keep coming back to this. We keep saying this as a church, 
to figure out everything. We keep having to go back and remind ourselves just who Jesus is and what he has done and keep fixing our eyes there. That's going to save us a whole host of problems if we can figure out what it means to keep our gaze there, uh, to keep focusing our eyes on, on Jesus. That's the goal for us. This is the truth that Paul is trying to get this church to figure out. And I think he would say the exact same thing to us today if he could write us a letter. He'd say, Riverside, fix your eyes on Jesus. We're gonna get to that now in the text. And you know the context for where we're at right at this moment in time and how Steve set up uh, this message uh, last week. And I just encourage you, on the app, you can get all the sermons if you wanna catch up and if you've missed stuff. The church is wrestling uh, with a whole bunch of stuff and Paul's about to launch into a new wave of what it means to live as a Christian. And he's setting that up by dealing with what we call legalism and license. So legalism is when you take Jesus and you add something to Jesus to try and qualify your salvation. Then license, on the other hand, is when you diminish the work of Jesus in the way that you live your life. You somehow uh, take stuff away from what he has done. We kind of call it Jesus plus and Jesus minus. And this is where we're at and, and, and we're going to kind of figure out, because some of you guys have been asking this week, okay, well, we understand a bit of legalism now. We understand a little bit of license, but how do we navigate those two? How, how do we then live for Christ without kind of falling into those traps? And Paul's setting this up for what we're going to get into for the next kind of few weeks is is another wave of what it means to live for Christ. And again, this, this whole thing of, of Jesus plus and Jesus minus is a big deal. And again, if you, you're struggling with how to figure this out, you might have experienced this in some churches where you'll go, okay, you're a Christian, but uh, you're not healed. You've got sickness. Uh, so there's a problem with your faith. And so you get church movements who go, Jesus, okay, cool, we believe in Jesus, come to faith in Jesus, uh, but that's not enough. The completed work of Christ, his death on the cross in our place for our sins, his resurrection, his ascension isn't enough. You also need to be healed for your salvation to be complete. And so they will add to uh, the work of Jesus to kind of confirm that you are saved. Some churches will do that with speaking in tongues. You might have had that negative experience in your life where they'll kind of force that on you as a sign that you're a believer. Uh, some churches will add financial prosperity that they'll go, oh, fantastic. You know, Jesus died for you. Uh, he rose again for you. And oh, you're not experiencing financial blessings. So you obviously haven't come to faith in Jesus because that's what you're supposed to also get. And again, those are never fully promised in scripture. What is promised is Jesus. But people will go, Jesus and. And, and people will then go, well, you need Jesus and you must do all of these rules. Because it's not enough to have Jesus. You need to kind of make your salvation real by obeying everything in the Old Testament. Some of what the church in Colossae was dealing with, uh, people from a Jewish background were going, hey guys, brilliant, you've come to faith in Jesus, now obey every single rule in the Old Testament. That's gonna make things real for you. That's gonna kind of confirm your salvation. And then on the license side of things, license is when you just reject kind of rules, you reject uh, what it means to obey and follow and, and live a holy life uh, unto Jesus. And uh, again, some of the things we've preached upon uh, when they were engaging with, okay, well, what do we eat? What do we drink? How do we respond with holy days and things like that? That's them going, well, 
you know, I've come out of this. How do I live with my friends who still behave this way? They celebrate. How do I celebrate with them? What does it mean to, to follow Jesus in this world? And so some people will reject holiness. They'll go, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to get it right, so I'm not even going to try. So I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to uh, diminish his work. I'm going to diminish the cost of his death for my sin when I was guilty and deserved death, but he took that upon himself. I'm going to diminish that by rejecting living my life for him. I'm gonna reject that and diminish that by uh, living a life that doesn't honor him, that uh, is given into license and, and just I'm gonna do what I want to. You know, I know it's hard not to move in with my girlfriend, but you know, oh, there's grace. Jesus is gonna forgive me. Diminishing, taking away from the work of Jesus on the cross and giving into license. And so as he's going to kind of call us afresh to what it means to live for Jesus, he's going to set up how we navigate those two things. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. An example of the boats. Hey, things were not going well for me. I fixed my eyes on a fixed point. And it got me through that. Again, Paul, and in multiple times, we read through the New Testament, the call to fix our eyes on Jesus. Set our hearts and our minds there where Christ is. Not on things below, not on earthly things, on Jesus. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the heart of Colossians. This is kind of the hinge or, or, or a passage that everything revolves around. This is uh, the truth that Paul is desperately trying to convey and is wanting to embed deep in their hearts. And so again, for us this morning, if we as a church could grasp uh, this reality, these few lines that he has written here, uh, it would do so well for us in our faith and grasping what it means to live fully for Jesus and to be fully alive, not to uh, fall into the trap of legalism and not to fall into the trap of license, but to be fully alive in Jesus, fully engaged with Him. Right, we've been, since then, he's going back to everything that he's spoken about. He's spoken about the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've been raised with Christ, right? We've set our hearts on Him. we set our mind on His things. And then verse three is really a, 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 a really a key a theological truth that he is driving home for them. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I want to uh, try to do something that I don't normally do. I'm not big into object lessons, uh, but I, 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 I wanna try and talk this through with us for a few minutes so that we really get this because if this uh, if, if we get this, and I'm going to explain this in a moment, I'm sure you've been wondering why I brought my lunch boxes uh, to church this morning. But if we get this, it's going to really help us understand how to fully live uh, for Christ. Right, can you hear me all right? Okay. So... Uh, this is you, 
and uh, you are enjoying a good life. Uh, some days, uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. You're trying to go through life. Uh, you're trying to figure things out. And uh, at some point in your life, you then decide, okay, uh, I've been invited to church. I want to give this uh, Christian thing a go. So I'm going to experience church. I'm going to see what this whole Christian life is about. So you come and you... Another lunchbox. You come and you engage in the things of Christ. So you experience church. Uh, maybe week two, you uh, decide to sing along uh, with the crazy people around you who are singing and uh, it doesn't make sense, but you're doing this and uh, you get invited to a life group and you're spending some time with some Christians. Okay, they're not so weird as you kind of first thought and uh, so you, you try to do this thing, but it's hard. And uh, it doesn't make sense all the time. And it's not working out the way you thought it would work out. So you're coming to Christ. Uh, you would maybe even call yourself a Christian because, you know, you're going to church. You know Christians. You, you're trying to do this thing. And even then, you, you know, you, you go get yourself a Bible. And so now it's you. You're going to church. You're praying. The Bible's in your life. But still, things are not really working out well for you. It's, it's just still not working out. You're feeling all this guilt the whole time. Uh, you try and you try and you try. You go, okay, well, I'm not gonna look at this anymore and I'm not gonna do this. And I'm gonna try to be a better dad, a better husband. And you're trying to do some of the rules that you see here. Well, does God love me? Does he not? And, and, and you try to do this Christ thing, but it's not always working out for you. Because what we often miss is the full gravity What's going on? Because inside of me, is this thing called sin. And it's really hard for me to externally change everything because the problem with me is this what's inside of me. And so I can't just change what scripture calls my sinful nature how I could not come to Christ, what separated me from him, the very reason why I needed Christ was this problem deep embedded inside me, who I was, this person who is sinful by nature. That's in me, and no matter how hard I try, everything I'm doing to try and engage with Christ, if I haven't dealt with this, it's just moralism. It's just legalism, it's self-discipline. It's, it's me trying to do things in my own strength. God, why don't you love me? I'm trying really, really hard here but it doesn't work because you're not fundamentally dealing with the very core problem, which is our sinful nature. And now we start to understand the, the very real work of Jesus. Didn't get a chance to practice this on stage, so forgive all the moving around. So as it says in Romans chapter six, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, Slaves to sin, it's in you. You have come to obey through your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So here we go. This is you, the problem is sin. Nothing changes no matter how hard you try. 
and you're in this legalistic framework where I try and I try and I do and I do. God doesn't love me. Am I saved and I'm not saved? But the moment we come to faith in Jesus and uh, the way Romans 10 describes it is if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he rose again from the dead, then we are saved. That's the Christian word that we use if you ever wondered what that was about. But the work of Jesus is taking out sin and putting Christ in. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The work of Jesus, when we come to faith in him, is he takes out the sinful nature, he gives us his righteousness. So now this is us. Christ in us. The work of the gospel is taking out the sinful nature, putting Jesus in us. And now Paul goes on to say in this passage, but we are found in Christ. And this is some of the most incredible truth of the gospel is that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And so now our life starts to look like this. And now change can happen because it's no longer that we are slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. We don't have a sinful nature in us anymore. We have Christ in us. And the work of the gospel is he makes us a new creation. The language that we use, you were dead in your sins, but now alive in Christ. It's because he's taken out the sinful nature. He's given us his righteousness and we are found in him, adopted into his family, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Other scriptures that we get given, uh, Paul talks about this in, in Colossians 1.27. To them, God has chosen to make known uh, to the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, everything is life he considers rubbish that he may be found in Christ. And so we see this uh, playing out the whole time. Christ in us, us in Christ. And then the full joy of the passage, and if you wanna go back to uh, Colossians chapter three, and it is gonna come up onto uh, the screen. But it says, your life is now hidden with Christ. Let me turn this all around. This is our life. This is the work of Christ. Jesus in me. I am found in Christ, hidden in God. On my worst days, this is my identity. On the days where I feel like I have gotten it so completely wrong and I haven't prayed and I uh, got angry at my kids and I, I messed up in something, this is my life. I have surrendered to Jesus. I've accepted what he did on the cross in my place for my sin. And the completed work of Jesus means my sinful nature is gone. It's been replaced by the righteousness of Christ. I'm found in him, sealed with the Holy Spirit, hidden in God. That is where my life is. That is where your life is. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you're feeling not very loved by the Father, that's a lie because this is what you are defined as now. Christ in you, you are in Christ, hidden in God. 
If you are not a believer here this morning, this is what's on offer to you, is that you come to Jesus and everything changes. But when we start to think about how to live for Christ, this is our departure point. How can anyone earn this? You can't. This is why we reject legalism. I can't do anything to earn this position. This is his incredible grace to me that while I was his enemy, Christ died for me and created this as my new identity. Think of this as an analogy between dating and marriage. Okay, this is a bad analogy when it comes to Jesus, but again, track with me on this. Uh, Someone sparks your fancy, and so you start to do things to win their heart. So you try and get them to notice you. Uh, you know, you might dress maybe a little bit differently. You might see how they walk uh, through the university kind of hallways or schoolways. Uh, maybe they're in your office. So you kind of try and be in their way, learn what they like. Maybe it's some flowers. Maybe you start to leave a note. But whatever you're doing, you're working to win their heart, Right? And so you win their heart to such a point uh, that you ask them to marry you if you're a guy. Oh, it's, uh, I suppose it works the other way these days as well. But then they say yes. And so uh, you won their heart, you pursued them, they fell in love with you, uh, you're married. And um, how does it go? First comes the engagement ring, then the wedding ring, and uh, then the suffering, which is just the worst picture of marriage because... Right, You do everything in your power to win them, to get them to fall in love with you, and then you get married and it becomes the most boring affair for however many years. Right, It's not supposed to be like that. The way marriage is supposed to work is now there is just so much more freedom to pursue the other person, to love the other person, to do things for the other person. So why I said that's a bad example is because we're not trying to win God's heart. While we were his enemies, he still loved us. And he was the one who pursued us as his enemies. And now that we're in a covenant relationship with him through the work of Jesus, this is our life. And so when we get to pursue him, we don't have to pursue him in any legalistic way whatsoever. We never have to do anything to gain his approval. This is how he has made us in him. This is the freedom and the joy of relationship with Jesus. From this departure point, I get to live my life for him. Right? When it talks at the back end of of, um, Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ who is your life, think about your person. How much you love your person, what you out of joy do for your person. It's the same with Jesus. This is my relationship with him. This is my freedom. This is my joy. This is how I don't fall into legalism and how I don't fall into license because I don't have to earn his love or favor. I had it long before I even knew him while I was his enemy. This is what he established for me and this is what has become my identity when I've come to faith in him. And it's out of this position that I pursue him. And as we go into the next verses, Paul's gonna talk about how to put to death things of your sinful nature, things that we still haven't quite figured out yet. That while we've been a believer for a few years and we're still struggling through things, he's gonna call us again to put to death that. And it's not in a legalistic way. It's out of joy and freedom from having this security, this love, this unending relationship Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more so. New are his mercies for me every single day. 
that the call for me to pursue him with my whole heart and to be able to set my mind there, to set my heart there and to say, Jesus, you are my life. And the way to uh, kill the things in my life that don't honor him and to do that with joy is rooted in this relationship and this picture. This is joy, this is freedom. You think of your relationships on earth, it helps you to get a better picture for this. My marriage with Inez is one of freedom. I'm not bound by rules to do things to get her to love me. It's out of the security of the covenant bond of marriage and out of my love for her that I choose to do things that honor her and choose to do things that uh, value her and, and to speak her love language. And there's things I don't do to protect that. And no obligation, but freedom and joy. And this is the heart of what Paul's getting to in this letter. So many times as believers, we forget how much freedom we have in the security of our relationship with God. For me to turn away from sin and to pursue holiness is freedom. And it's joy. It's joy because of what I have in Jesus. What he has accomplished for me and in the cross and what he has done for my life. The first time I had a fight with Inez, the marriage didn't end. No, it's gotten better because I've learned what upsets her. And so I've eradicated that from my life, mostly. She's done the same. And so we don't intentionally seek to wound each other and hurt each other. Because in the freedom of our marriage, we get to love each other more and more and more. That's why I really struggle when people get married and say, this is the best day of my life. And I scratch my head and I go, you know nothing. How can you say this is the best day and, and we're almost nine years in and it is so much better than day one. And it's only getting better because of the freedom that marriage brings. And so it's the same thing with our faith in Jesus. It brings more and more freedom. The more and more we understand the grace that we have in him, the more we understand our identity of having Christ in us, being found and in, hidden in God, that nothing can change this. Right? This relationship established as a permanence with me and God. The first time I blew it, he didn't take this away. And he will never take this away. Does that mean I give into license? Does that mean I just go and sin like crazy? Paul's gonna say, no, never. In fact, all the more reason not to because of who he is and what he's done. The Christ is my life. And so that is what really drives me. Paul said these words in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. Do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I myself might not be disqualified from the prize. The same guy that speaks about our freedom same guy that is speaking about who we are and what we have in Christ talks about how much he disciplines his own life. Not out of legalism. Not out of earning anything. Rejecting license, but pursuing relationship and joy and freedom because of who he is and what he has in Christ. 
And again, that is the truth for us. We need to uh, really seek uh, or sink deep into our hearts the reality of grace and who we are and what we have in Jesus. Because when we grow in that, and when we fix our eyes on that and live in the freedom of that security, that's how we're able to leave legalism behind. Because it's with joy and freedom that we choose to honor God with actions in our lives. And we reject license because we hate sin. Because we understand the cost and we understand what we've been saved from and been set free from. We understand the beauty and the worth of Jesus. And so our ability to leave those two behind is understanding how we are found in Christ, hidden in God, setting our minds on things above where Christ is. That is uh, the place and that's where we need to be getting to as believers. We often talk about this picture as a church, or, or three pictures. And again, it's traps that people fall into. Uh, the one is to see my life with Jesus like a rowboat. And so you're in the boat and you've got the two oars and you're against the currents and you're trying to get to God and you're rowing with all your might uh, furiously and uh, you're spending all this energy and you're getting nowhere. And so you get angry at God, like God, you know, you don't love me in my life. It's not changing. And, and, and you're just trying to do all the work. And the other uh, picture is that of a speedboat. One of these high-powered things that you're sitting in there, uh, you just put the throttle up to full and the boat goes. And uh, that doesn't work because you're going, God, it's all on to you. Uh, why isn't my life changing? You're supposed to do all of this. And, and so you think it's all on you. And the other mistake is to think it's all about him. Uh, but the right picture, and, and again, coming out of that verse in 1 Corinthians is, I love the picture of a sailboat with a crew. And the whole crew is furiously working to catch the wind and the sails. They're doing everything they can to change the rigging and, and, and set the sails so that the sail catches the wind and, and powers the boat forward. You think of some of these sail races and the team at the end that won and they're talking, hey, you know, you guys did really well. and say, no, we caught the wind. The wind was good for us. The wind is what powered us. But they're working hard to catch the wind. And this is for us that we understand who the power is. But in submitting to that, we ourselves work towards honoring Jesus to changing our lives to him, being conformed uh, to his likeness. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us to his likeness. But we are at, uh, involved in the process, being able to work with him in pursuing him with our lives. Not heaping man-made rules and saying, God, look what I've done. Now bless me. No, we reject that. We have everything we need in Christ. It's going, I can never change. One of the biggest lies is when a believer says, I'm sinful by nature. If you say, I'm a Christian and I'm sinful by nature, there's a problem because you're not a Christian then. Because if you've come to Christ, he's taken the sinful nature out, he's put the righteousness of Christ in you. So you're able to then pursue righteousness. You're able to leave life of sin behind and you're able to become like him. And so that's where we're at this morning. We're going to go into, again, Paul's, or we and Paul are gonna go into some very practical things in the next section in Colossians, gonna be speaking into what our life should look like in light of all of this. And so we're gonna be confronted with some hard things. And uh, the Holy Spirit is going to bring things up in us and we're gonna be confronted of areas of our life where we're still living in sin. And if you go, oh, there's more things there that I have to change. Something else I've got to do for God. That would be the wrong understanding of who Jesus is. 
when uh, Steve preaches next week and he's gonna bring out some truths and if the Spirit uh, digs up some stuff in your heart, you're gonna say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the security of my relationship with you. Thank you for the transforming power of your Holy Spirit that is gonna enable me to start to leave this behind and pursue you and be more like you because of this. It's gonna be freedom and it's gonna be joy. I wanna pray for us this morning as we end. I'm gonna pray for those of us who battle with legalism. I'm gonna pray for those of us who battle with uh, just license. There's areas in our lives that we've just never been able to uh, hand over to God and, and it's always been a frustration for us that we just continually sin. We've never known how to engage with that. I'm gonna pray um, for, for those of us that are there. And I wanna pray for us, those of us who are battling with joy, uh, who've never seen joy and freedom as the way that I engage with my life with God. And so those are three things that I'm going to uh, pray for uh, this morning. And so even if that's you, just uh, where you at, just respond um, to the Lord and what he is saying to you this morning. So Father God, where would we be if it wasn't for you? Where would we be without your incredible death on the cross for us? How you rose in victory from the grave. How you ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we know that we will appear with you in glory. Because you took away our sinful nature when we surrendered our lives to faith in you. And in its place, you gave us your righteousness. Christ in me, the hope of glory. But not only that, I'm sealed in you, I'm found in you. And with that hidden in God, that is my life. And Jesus, for everyone this morning that is still stuck in legalism, that has uh, grown up in a worldview that we need to do things to earn love, that we've understood your death, Jesus, but have added to it, that in our hearts we know it's Jesus and rules, that we're stuck in, in this hard obedience Jesus, I pray that you would set everyone here this morning free who has battled with legalism. And if you this morning need to repent of legalism, repent of being this rule-focused believer, if you need to do that, do that now in your heart and, and just say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for that. Jesus, I can never earn your grace and your love through works. It's what you have done for me, and that is enough. And the same thing, Jesus, for those who diminish your work by just uh, repeatedly going back to sinful behaviors and patterns, Jesus, I pray that you would show them what they've been set free from. Help them understand that you have given them a new nature, one that is a slave to righteousness, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can say no to sin and yes to your holiness. And so this morning, for people who are struggling there, again, I call you to repent. Repent from giving excuses to why you are not honoring Jesus. And to say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh with your power that can say no to sin. And yes to obedience. But Jesus, I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us all so that we can experience freedom. Freedom and joy to pursue you, Jesus, who is our life. In your holy name, amen.